0: Hebrews. So we're going to be in Hebrews 2 this morning, so if you want to open up uh, your Bible to that. You might remember in, um, in the beginning of Hebrews 2, the last, I think it was around the first of the year we, t- we talked about this, the writer of Hebrews was giving a very strong warning to us, us as Christians. And that warning was, was uh, basically says, pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. And I gave this great example, I thought it was a great example, of uh, drifting away In the sense, one day I was out snorkeling and I got further and further away and, and you, you think you're going back toward the shore and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, wow, I went left or I went right and I didn't go back to the shore and, and how we can easily drift away. But what he's talking about here is slowly, slowly drifting away and away from the relationship that we had with God at one time. And we're not talking about outright rebellion. You know, we're not talking about that—that. Uh, that, well, I'm not sure if I really believe what my parents believe, and, and kind of rebelling and trying to figure out what you believe, and all. That. We're not talking about that type of rebellion. We're talking about the slow drift, that slow time of, man, I used to have a great relationship. I used to have great friendships within the church, within the Christian community. And over time, I slowly just break those away. And that's what we're talking about at that point. Um, And he says, for those who don't stay attentive, don't stay, uh, uh, you know, he basically says, listen up, pay attention. And Jesus says it another way. He says, he who has ears, let him listen. So the question is, do we really listen? And then once we listen, do we really apply it to our lives? Because that's the whole point of you coming here on, uh, on Sunday morning and listening uh, and worshiping is applying this stuff to your daily life. And this is how you can tell if you're getting anywhere. Or getting anything out of the, the sermons, out of the Bible studies you do, do you start to apply it to your life? Do you look at your life and say, wow, God taught me this little nugget, this little thing on this particular day, and how does that implement into my life? And when it happens, we go, wow, wow, this applies to me. I need to listen. Or do we go, wow, this, is, this really confirms the, the direction that I was heading. And again, the direction is so important, so important in our lives. But there may be others sitting there going, "Wow, I, you know I, I went through that once. I went through a bad time. I drifted away, and, but I, and I don't want to go back there anytime soon, so I need to listen." And then there's always a third group that that, that you know the faces you don't look at in church because they're, they look totally 100 percent bored. You know what I'm saying? When you're, when you're preaching and, and you look at a face and, and you're like, okay, the, yeah, I don't want to look at that because it'll disturb me. It'll, it'll get me off my game. It'll, it'll kind of distract me. Uh, and Jesus would say, hey, he who has an ear, listen. We, we need to listen so we don't drift away. It amazes me that when crisis hit in our lives, that we usually want, run one of two ways. We either run toward God or we run away from God. Which do you do? Think back to a crisis in your life. What did you do? What should you be doing? These are the things that we need to learn. So the writer of Hebrews is warning us to pay attention. So when a crisis hits, we know which way we are heading, and it's not away from God. Now we talked about when, when we do realize that we've drifted away, because sometimes that happens in life. Life just gets you down. I mean, life just hits you like a, like a freight train, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this last week on the news in Houston, where I, where I grew up, there uh, there was a video of a bus that, that literally came within like a foot of being nailed by a train. One of the kids has a, you know, a video, of it, and he's sitting there videoing the train, whizzing by in the back of the bus, is like this close to it. Sometimes you might get hit by a freight train in life. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's close. And we need to realize what happens and, and not to drift. Some of us might have been drifting for years. But we start to find out that Christ is always around we don't have to, to turn that far to, to realize that Christ is right there waiting for us to turn back to Him. And it can be an instant thing. The hard part is that we're always laying down anchors where we drift. We always, you know, we drift way off and we set an anchor. And God has to rip that anchor out and drag you back toward Him sometimes so you can have a relationship with Him. So we need to be careful not to, to drift. And we need to know the areas that we drift toward. You know, there's, there's uh, one lady uh, way back uh, at another church was telling me, I, I really have a, a strong relation. You know, she was married, and she goes, I really have a strong connection to this other man in the church, and da, da 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 And I just looked at her and I said, You need to stop. Well, what do you mean? I said, You need to stop. You need to not talk to that person. You need to, you know, because she, she recognized that she was drifting toward that. Well, you, once you recognize it, you need to do something about it. And sometimes that's completely stopping. Sometimes that's, that's not being around maybe a, another person or not being around in a situation or not going to certain places, because it drags you that way. to be able to confide and, and to, to tell somebody, "Man, I, I'm, I'm drifting, and if I ever drift that way, you, you need to come and get me." So this morning we're going to pick up in Hebrews 2:14, and it says, "Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity in their humanity, so that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death." Now, that's just one sentence. I mean, this is just, pa- I mean, wow, there's a lot there. And this is why some scholars believe that Paul might have written this book. Uh, because Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he writes these run-on sentences sentences that just go on and on. It's kind of like pastors. We just go on and on and on. You know, that's kind of how Paul was. And he just goes on and on. But we don't know for sure. So we don't want to assume that it was Paul that was writing. Because many other you know, scholars believe that, that Paul was not the author. But this one sentence is so packed full of truth. If we could grasp this sentence in our life, our lives as believers would be so much better. So let's read the the rest of this and we'll come back to that sentence. It says in verse 16, For surely it it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, For this reason, uh, Abraham's descendants, we're talking about you and I, Christians, Abraham's descendants here. For this reason, he had, had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." So let's jump back to verse 14, and it says, Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Now, I hope I don't drive you crazy with, with word studies this morning. But, I mean, to really understand this verse, we've got to kind of dig into to certain words to understand uh, the Greek and, and, and what the writer was trying to say here to understand this passage. Because this is a beautiful picture of truth. Let's look at the word Shared. Many of you might be you know, familiar with this Greek word. It's, it's the word a lot of churches have used, especially in the 80s and, and, and early 90s, koinonia. And it's a, it's a Greek word. Uh, uh, how many of you have heard that word before? Okay, a few hands here and there. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's an incredible biblical word. It's one of those words that you could spend a whole service teaching about it, or in fact, a whole month teaching about it. But what it is is we have... With Jesus, a partaking, a communion like we just did a little earlier. And this is like a reverse communion in a sense. He shared our body. He shared our humanness. He partook in our humanness. In other words, he came down to this earth and became flesh. He became a person. Not so he could just say he did. But it, uh, but it was so that his death... By his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. He did it for a reason. And this is the second word we need to look at, the word destroy. It doesn't mean to annihilate or completely get rid of here in this context. It means to render ineffective. To take charge, you know, take the charge completely out of a battery in a sense. Or, you uh, you know, if the battery's still in there, it's just useless. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus went through the process of becoming human. And going through death victoriously, what he did is he rendered the devil ineffective in our lives. We give way too much credit to the devil Oh, well, the devil did this, the devil did that. And, the, and most of the time, it's our own sin that gets us in trouble, and it's just not the devil. Because the devil is one angel, and, and he's not omnipresent. He is roaming this earth. He has a whole bunch of, you know, fallen angels, minions, whatever you want to call them, okay? But they're not everywhere like God. So Too often we say, oh, the devils you know, did this. And sometimes it is the devil you know, right in there kind of going after us, especially if our faith is, is, is going toward God. Sometimes he, you know, he does try to, to drag us the other way. But sometimes it's our own complete sin. And God is sitting there going, I made the devil ineffective because he took the power of death away from him. So it says in Revelations 1.18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead Behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So let's talk about death for a moment. First of all, there's two different types of death. There's spiritual death and then there's physical death. Because this in this you know, you could interpret it this either way. The spiritual death here is, is basically, in the past, Satan had powers uh, over the, the lives in, in the arena of the spiritual death. Uh, and the spiritual, uh, or the scriptures called, uh, called it spiritual death. And the spiritual death was this separation from God when you could not have a relationship. And the Bible refers to the people separated from God as being dead. Well, they might as well be dead, Right? It talks about them being dead to sin. Or you read Paul and, and some of the other books that written in the New Testament it talks about being dead to sin. That's what it's talking about, that spiritual death here. Now the Apostle Paul would testify that he was dead in an interesting form of sin which was called legalism. He was in the middle of a religion and he was dead. He was like, he was like the chief proponent of the, of the Jewish faith. And he looked back upon that and said, I was so religious, I was dead, because his belief system was wrong. So we see this, it's possibly possible to be in the middle of religion and be dead to the reality of Jesus, or to be dead to spiritual things. Now what the scriptures are saying here, that Jesus destroyed the power over this death, that Satan has over us, you know, it was, was in his power to keep us separated from God, But because of what Jesus did, because he was on that cross, Satan lost all that power. So never again do we have to be separated from God except by our own choice. Now Paul writes about this in Romans. And one of these days we're going to get to the book of Romans. It's it's a wonderful book. It'll probably take us way too long to go through it. But uh, he, he makes a list of things that might separate you from God. And at the end of the list, he says, and and I'm not going to go into all the lists, but he lists all these things, different things that can separate us from God. And at the end of the list, he says, nothing can separate me from God. Nothing can. Because he grasps how important it was to have that relationship with God. Because once we've connected with the Lord, you do not have to be separated again. You don't. That power has been taken away. You never ever want, never want that part of life again that you used to call, oh, this is the life before God. Because life without good, life without God, life without the the, the grace and mercy of God can be very painful. It can be very ugly. I mean, we have a hard enough time sometimes going through different difficulties, you know, with the relationship with God and and what happens in our life. But at least we have something to fall back on, which is God himself. Imagine not having anything to fall back on. And many of you that came to Christ later in life, you can understand that. You can understand not having something to fall back on. You know, sometimes uh, we glorify those, uh, you know, those that have great testimonies. Before I became, you know, came to God, I did this, this, and this. But how often we forget how miserable that life actually is because that sin wrecked our life. We need to remind each other how ugly sin really is and how you can receive the grace and the mercy and how happy we can be about receiving that. But forgiveness doesn't mean the outcome changes sometimes. You know, when my son does something wrong, I can forgive him, it doesn't mean he's not going to be punished. You see what I'm saying? You know, the, the, old, uh, the old adage of, of God will, you know, if you go and jump off a building, God will forgive you. You can ask for forgiveness on the way down. It doesn't mean you're not going to hit the ground, right? Sometimes the outcome Still hits us even though we receive the forgiveness. Sin can and will change our lives, our whole lives sometimes, and other times it just hurts our relationship with God. It's easy to point out the ugliness of sin when it's so obvious. I mean, we see a you know, sin destroy a marriage, and, and we can look at that and say, Wow, you get, oh, I feel for that, and, and, and all that. But there's also a whole bunch of other sin that's internal sin that's behind-the-scenes sins, that does just as bad of a job as affecting other people. In other words, it, it, it destroys relationships, it destroys, you know, things. Yet we don't see it because it's hidden. And the greatness of God is this. He forgives both kinds of sin. Both kinds. There's a recognition of sin. And then there's the repentance of sin. And that, the repentance of sin is stop doing it. You know, when my son, he spilt his milk three times this past week at the dinner table. And every time he does it, because we're trying to teach him to use a glass instead of a cup that has a lid, you know, every time he does it, first thing he does is goes, I'm sorry, Dad. And I'm like, well, I forgive you, son, but you need to stop doing that. You know what I'm saying? You can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But if you keep doing it, see, the action has to change. The action has to change. But one of our major problems is this. We want forgiveness without repentance. Don't we? Oh, man. We all do. We want forgiveness while at the same time ignoring that we haven't stopped that sin. And what does uh, sin do to us? Oh, man, it kills us. It allows Satan to separate us from the relationship with God. And it keeps reminding us how awful sin is. And it keeps us from God. And he keeps reminding us how I'm such a bad person. And it keeps me from God. He keeps reminding me, you've gone so far, you can't go back to God, which is totally a falsehood. It's totally untrue. Yet he does that. And it keeps me from God, it keeps me from that relationship. The Apostle Paul worked on this concept his entire life. And Romans 6.3 says, or Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into His death? Paul's explaining why uh, why we baptize and why it's so exciting for us to do. Not that baptism saves us by any means, but it does show us our willingness to follow God's commands. And and I know one person has asked me about baptism and wanted to be baptized, and we need to get that done soon because, uh, you know, we kind of put it off a little bit, and and we really shouldn't because he asked us to be baptized in his name. Verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We began a new life after we're baptized, a new way of thinking, a new way of, of, of how we treat ourselves and think of ourselves and how we treat other people, a new connection to God that we did not have before. And so we began to enter into heaven here on this earth That's what a relationship does with God. It shows you the forerunner of of what heaven would be like. Think of the the greatest moment you've ever had with God and and then just expound upon that. That is what heaven is going to be like. Now, don't get me wrong. We will go to, you know, be with the Lord either by physical death or when he returns and takes us up to be with him when, when we're called to him. And that will be in a physical place called heaven. But there's a heavenly place that we can be with God here on this earth, and that's through His relationship, and that is in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. If you wrote a note or even tattooed it on your arm, God is watching me. God is watching me. Think of the place where you have the greatest sin in your life that you know you shouldn't have. Go put a note there, God is watching me. Or God, well, you know, that sounds so negative, doesn't it? Like I'm watching you. No, he's a loving God. How about God is here? Right, God is here instead of God is watching me. Because God is everywhere. We would stop sinning a little bit more if we started realizing that God is everywhere, right? It's like when the child thinks you have eyes in the back of your head. Brandon doesn't realize at night I can see through the reflection on the windows in our house because our blinds are up until we go to bed, you know? He thinks I have eyes in the back of my head. I'm going to let him believe that as long as he, you know. The heavenly place is being with God. The exact opposite of that is hell on earth. Hell on earth is separation from God. And this brings me to a physical death. What is really sad is when some believers, you know, we... Well, when we become believers, we don't let go of the sin in our life. We just keep holding that on. It's like that anchor that holds us down and it won't fully let us implement God into our life and it makes our lives miserable. Well, you know, what is really bad is when I see a Christian holding on to these things and it makes them so happy, unhappy in this life. So much joy is robbed out of their life because they don't hand that stuff over to God. Okay, now going back to verse 14, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So let's talk about the fear of physical death for a moment. This haunts some of us, doesn't it? The whole idea of, of death and, you know, this fear can, can even haunt us to the point of not living. I mean, as a parent uh, and as an uh, aunt and uncle that loved your, your nieces and nephews and stuff, I mean, the whole idea of, of maybe them dying before you do, I mean, that can just haunt you, right? I mean, it's like I could live my whole life going, no, Brandon, don't, don't, don't no, Brandon, no, no. You got to, you know, hoarding Brandon and grace inside the house, never letting them go anywhere. You know, no, I, you can't ride your bike because you might fall over and hit your head and you might die. I mean, you know, that can haunt some people that, that have that type of fear, uh, which I, I don't understand. We, we have a neighbor, that their little two-year-old rides a bike, phenomenal bike rider already, okay? He's not even on the balance bike. I mean, he's out there. Brandon's five and he's still got the tra- He just got his, you know, training wheels on his bike and he's all happy and all that, but man, they just let this kid go everywhere, not a helmet on his head. And the old, you know, well when I was growing up, we didn't wear helmets. Well, that's true. And you had a lot more head, of, a lot more head injuries that went to the hospital. You see my point? I mean, helmets, are anyway, anyway, I, I, why did I go? But you know, the whole aspect of, of we, can, we can hoard things because fear in our life. We're afraid for others and our loved ones. I wish I could tell you you wouldn't die. I wish I could tell you that, that Jesus would return and that, that, that we would not go to the grave before he did. But I don't know. I don't know God's timing. I could walk out of here today and, and die in a car accident. I don't know how many days we are numbered because God only, knows, you know, only God knows that. It has nothing to do with age. It's a sad thought in many ways. But the truth of the matter is, we won't miss this earth. We won't. Because we will be in the presence of God. Now, for those left, of course we'll miss you or you'll miss me. Right? I mean, hopefully you'll miss me. You know, but of course there's, there's that that you know, that fear of death sometimes. But it manifests itself in phobias. Some phobias are, are healthy. We don't go out swimming with sharks. Okay? Only the idiots that have no fear do that, okay? I don't get them. We don't jump off of tall buildings. That's a good phobia to have, okay? But there's other types of phobia that keeps us from living, the fear of messing up. The fear of not succeeding, the fear of not measuring up to someone else's expectations. Oh man. See, the great thing about God and the great thing about our Christian walk is we can be released from those phobias in our life because our walk is with the greatest God whoever was, the only God. We don't have to fear those things because if they were to happen, if I were to get hit by a car, if I were to die while I was swimming, if I were to do whatever, I go to be be with God in heaven anyway. Because our fears often boil down to one thing fear of death. Now, some of us have way too many phobias, like, you know, not going over a bridge because you're, you know, earthquakes gonna happen. Who felt that earthquake last week? Anybody sitting around? I'm like sitting around my house, I'm working on a computer, and all of a sudden the house goes, now, yeah, it didn't go, you know, that much, but I mean, enough that you could feel it, right? I mean, there's some people, you know, our friends are like, Alan, and Lisa, you, gotta, you, you guys got to move back to Texas because we don't have earthquakes. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's think. You have hurricanes, you have tornadoes, you have, okay, yeah, we could go on. You can't drive in ice because you've never seen ice, you know, all those wonderful things. You know, but we can have fear of earthquakes or fear of not eating certain types of food or fear of not fly, flying on a plane. What is really sad is if you cross that bridge, you would probably enjoy yourself because you would get to the other side. Now, I want to say one more thing about death. One reason that some of us are afraid of death is the fact that we, are, you know, we feel that we're not ready to meet the Lord. We look at our lives, and we're ashamed at the sin that's inside of us, and we fear that if we meet the Lord, it's not going to be enough. That it'll just squish us like a bug. Well, one thing is you're already dead, so God can't squish you like a bug again, okay? But secondly, I want you to understand, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you may have sin in your life. Yes, you may need to stop that sin. Your life here on this earth would be better, but I want you to understand, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are going to heaven, so therefore you do not have to fear meeting God. That's a terrible thing if you feel like you're, you have that fear, because the Lord can't wait to meet us. He can't wait for us to understand Him more, and understand who He is, and what He truly means, not only to this world, but to this universe that He created Many of us have grown up with these, you know, some untrue beliefs like purgatory or that we haven't earned our our way to heaven. Well, I'm sorry. There's nothing that you can do. You can be the greatest man or woman on this earth and that will not get you to heaven unless you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're unclear on that, read the Bible because it's very clear. And we have confidence in our salvation with the Lord. We need to, say, need to say to the Lord, I'm afraid to meet you because I'm unsure of my salvation. Help me be sure of my salvation. If you are unsure of your salvation, you well, first of all, if you accepted Jesus, you need to get over that. You need to ask God to help you be sure of your salvation. And I believe the Holy Spirit will start working in you. And one day you'll realize that you, you don't have that fear in your life any longer. You can take that out of here because that is the truth. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, For this reason he, had, been, he had, uh, had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, so they might make atonement for the sins of the people. And I love the words here, merciful and faithful. In order to be merciful, you have to act In order to be faithful, you have to act and not act. Because those are are not just emotions. You know, Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is who in the story? Well, the Good Samaritan is God himself. There's an action of God, you know, by God for you. It requires his mercy. So you can be compassionate in life and not act. You can have compassion for somebody and not do anything about it. But with mercy, you have to act. It's the same for faithfulness. If you're married, you completely understand this. There's a thing you do, and there are some things that you don't do because of your marriage, right? It's not because of a feeling. You don't go, oh, I really feel faithful for you, to you today. Okay, does that mean yesterday you didn't feel faithful to me? See, if we go off a of feeling... Our marriage is kind of doomed in a sense. Now we need to back up here also. He says, for this reason he has been ma- uh, had to be made like his brothers in every way. And you will find this in almost every New Testament book. And the great thing about God is that he could have saved the world instantly, right? I mean, he's God. He could have saved everybody instantly and, and did it a different way. But he took 33 years. He chose to come down to this earth and live with with us. Creation only took six days. Six. And He chose to come be with us for 33 years. The most difficult thing God ever did was save me. The most difficult thing God ever did was save you. He suffered on the cross. He sweat blood for me. He went through all the pain for you so he could prove that he understood us. Think about it. Little baby. Here, Mary and Joseph, you change his diapers. They change the diapers of the child of God. Then then there was school. Imagine being the younger brother of Jesus teacher. Oh, I had Jesus last year. Are you his brother? Great. Oh, he was a great student. I know. I mean, don't you feel sorry for James? And then there's the, you know, young adulthood. His mother. When are you going to start saving the world? I mean, at one point she even says that to him, you know. Uh, Are his friends talking about him? Man, there's something just strange about him. I mean, we try to go out and have a good time and party with him, and he, he, didn't, he didn't want to party with us. Or imagine his family rejecting him. We cannot say that he does not understand us. He went through all of this, went through all the agony on the cross for you and I. So we can't say that God doesn't understand us. The verse says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are now be, are, are being tempted. And I don't mean tempted by donuts that, uh, that Andy was passing around. I saw at least four of you were tempted by that, right? You didn't get up. You didn't go back to and get one. And Andy's going around going, you want one? Uh-huh. Yeah, you want one? The word suffer. It says he himself suffered. The word suffer in Greek is pasco. And this is where we get the word passion and and the week Passion Week because he suffered, you know, the week before Easter we call Passion Week because all the suffering that he went through before the crucifixion. Jesus suffered and this is good because I don't want to follow a leader who has not been through it. I don't want to follow a leader who who doesn't understand. He has suffered so we can relate to him. It's not like a, a coach of a sport that's never played the sport. Not like a general who, who leads men into battle who's never been to battle. Jesus has suffered and he can relate to our lives. He Pascoed. He passcode for me those negative experiences that have hurt me. Now the second word is tempted. And I don't mean should I have a, you know another sugary donut that Mr. B keeps bringing home. The word means to, to go through the fire. The the Greek word is peruso. Like when we melt you know like when you melt down precious metals. It means to test by fire. He was tested. He was perusoed when he went through the fire. What's that fire? My sin. He went and paid for my sin. And my stuff that you know, you know, and all of my stuff, all my impurities were burned off. And what was left? The purity of Jesus Christ. He went through it and he came out the other side. As Paul says, it all joy when we, when you were tested." Why? Because it produces something of value on the other side. And when you get through the testing, fra- you know, uh, phase, we become more like Jesus. So he was pascoed. In other words, he suffered. He was perusoed. So, you know, in other words, he passed through the testing. And the third word is help. The word help is to rush over when someone is screaming out, like a lifeguard or or a mom. This isn't the word when when Brandon was screaming this morning when we were in the bedroom. He's screaming, you know, bloody murder. And we go in there and he's like, I got some milk on my shirt. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. I used to be an athletic trainee, trainer and I've had a lot of experience helping those, their physical needs, especially when they're hurt. I remember one game, I knew something major had happened and I was actually running out on the, the, the play was on this end of the field and, and the person that got hurt was on the other, you know, toward the back end of the field. So I'm actually running out on the field before the play, before the rep blew the whistle because the guy is on the ground screaming in pain. I get over there and his body's leaning one or going one way and his leg is going the completely opposite way it shouldn't go. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. That's what the word help means, to rush over to someone who's screaming. Now, you know, over the years I've heard a lot of crying out, a lot of screaming, especially trainer, trainer, trainer. I'm hurt. And there's a definite difference between a cry of help and a cry of pain and somebody who isn't really hurt. You want to start to understand the difference. This is the description of Jesus. Jesus is able to rush to those who are hurt because they are being tested. And I want to tell you something about Jesus. He rushes to those who are his children, especially when they're being tested. So I want to pray for those this morning who who are suffering for their belief in the Lord. Those who feel like they're, man, I am in the fire right now. And that you want to come out of the fire. You want to get to the other side of that, where Jesus is the only thing left, and that's the most valuable part. You know, I love the show Gold Rush, you know, it's kind of an interesting show. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? No one watches Gold Rush. Seriously, no one watches Gold Rush? One person. Okay, so you and I will have this conversation right now. But basically, they take all this gold out of the ground, and and at the end of the episode, they're always, you know, um, they're always pouring the gold and weighing it up. But if you look at it, and they're like, oh, there's so many ounces. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but I can see all the impurities. I can see all the different things on there that aren't really gold. And what happens is, yeah, they may have that much ounces now, but when it goes and gets fired, what happens? Some of that, you know, some of that weight goes away, Right? What's left, the pure gold, that's the beautiful thing. And what's left when we go through fire is Jesus Christ in our life. Amen? So who feels like, man, I've been going through the fire lately. Anyone? Several hands, okay. Good, good. Because we want to pray for you guys that when you get to the other side, because a lot of times when you're in the middle of the fire, what happens? Well, one, there's so much smoke you don't know which way is up, down, or around, right? Right? Just sitting there going, oh, I don't know if I can get through this. You're disoriented. But help is there, and that's through Jesus Christ. You may not understand it now. You may not ever understand it, but you can trust in one thing, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He has your best interest at heart, and He will get you through whatever fire you're going through, and He'll make it better on the other side. Well, why don't you stand and we'll pray for those that are going through fire right now. Lord, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I thank you that you went through the fire before I ever even knew fire was there. That you chose to come down here to this earth and become like me so I would understand you. Lord, I pray for those that are going through fire right now that, that is so difficult in life. Sometimes we don't understand what's happening. Sometimes something hits us on the, uh, you know, on the backside of the head and we didn't even see it coming. Or sometimes, Lord, we watch the freight train just coming right down the tracks and going, I can't get out of the way. Lord, for those that are going through something right now, I I pray that you just give them extra grace, extra mercy. Somehow let them know that you're in the middle of all of this, that, that if they are anchored to you, they will not drown in the storm. They will not burn up in the fire. That they will make it through. They will make it through, Lord. And the greatest thing about making it through is is knowing that you are there. That you went through the fire with us. And in the end, there's a purity of you in our life, Lord. I pray that you bring support of of friends and and church family around those who need it. That they're willing to step up and say, I need help or, or I'm going through this. Pray for me. Instead of keeping it in. Allow other believers to help. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, even when you feel like there's smoke in the way, that you would be able to see it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.